Shalom. This is Reverend John Ferret, and we welcome you to this new vidcast series, you might say video podcasts. It's entitled Against the Gods, and this is lesson two in this series. Now, in lesson one, we dealt with Genesis 1-1, and we asked the question, how did the Hebrews, who were the first hearers of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, how did they, coming out of Egypt, understand this verse? And in lesson one, we saw this verse as a direct attack against all pagan gods, not only Amun-Ra, who was the lead god during the time of the Exodus. It seems as if God is trying to reconnect to his people, the Hebrews, who for 400 years had assimilated into the Egyptian culture and turned from God or forgot God completely. So Genesis 1-1 was a direct attack against Amun-Ra, who was that lead God during the time of the Exodus. And for us too, as we looked at lesson one, it speaks to us. Imagine, it's the first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this verse, amazingly, for us today, clearly states that he is God. And he is God who reigns and controls all nature. Not only that, but he created all nature. Now, in lesson two, we're going to focus in on another verse in the creation account, and that's Genesis 1.21. So, let's just take a look at that verse from a couple of different translations. From the Message Bible, in Genesis 1.21, we read, God created the huge whales, all the swarms of life in the waters. In the NIV, we read Genesis 1.21, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing which, with which the water teems. Interesting. So here we have in the NIV, great creatures of the sea. And the Message Bible, it talks about whales. The Jewish Bible, called the Tanakh. Tanakh is an acronym in Hebrew, standing for Torah. Nevi'im, which is the prophets. And Chetuvim, which is the writings. We know it as the Old Testament. So in the Hebrew Scriptures, in Genesis 1.21, we read this. And God created the great crocodiles. You know, wait a minute. The Message Bible has got whales. The NIV has got great sea creatures. The JPS, which stands for the Jerusalem Publication Society, Old Testament or Hebrew Scriptures, God created the great crocodiles. Uh, interesting. Let's go to the New American Standard. And the New American Standard... In just Genesis 1.21 says this, God created the great sea monsters 
and every living creature that moves with which the water swarmed after their kind. Okay, what we have looked at is four different translations. Actually, two of them we, we would call Christian translations, the Message Bible, um, NIV, the, uh, and, and the New American Standard. And then we took a look at the Hebrew scriptures of the Jerusalem Publication Society uh, translation of the Bible, the Jerusalem Bible, and they had crocodiles. So which is it? Now, again, what was going to happen we're going to say definitely God needs to reconnect to his people because they're going to be entering Canaan. And they've left Egypt. In Leviticus 18, 1 through 5, and we'll be taking a look at their verse a little bit later on, God clearly tells his people in the book of Leviticus that they are not supposed to return and do the things that they did in Egypt. And on top of that, they are to avoid doing anything that the pagan people in Canaan do, that which is the promised land. So it's truly awesome, quite definitely, to study God's word in its historical context. For me, I know it has enhanced my understanding of God's word. It has definitely created an excitement in my faith to see God in a deeper and more, you might say, enhanced way, the way his people probably first heard his word and enlightens us on our walk with Jesus. So let's begin our study. I always like to begin our study with a blessing, just like they did in Jesus's day. Before they started studying the Bible, before they started studying the Torah, they always did a blessing. A blessing before study. We'll do something just like that, just like they did in Jesus' day. So what I will do, I will read it slowly in Hebrew, and perhaps you can follow along with me on your screen. And then again, I will read it slow, slow, slower in English, and that you could actually read it with me at that time. So here's our blessing to God as we enter his study. Baruch Hata Aronai. Eloheinu Melech Haholam. Ashir Bakar Banu Mikol Hahamim. Veinatanlanu et Torato. Veinevuim Hatovim. Veinatanlanu et Habasora Mashiach Yeshua. Veinatan lanu etabret chadasha. Baruch ata Aronai. Noten adevrei emet. And together, let's, let's say this in English. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from all people and given us his Torah and the good prophets and given us the good news of Messiah Jesus, and given us the new covenant. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the words of truth. So we remember the Hebrews during that awesome time that we call the Exodus. And Moses is writing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
someplace along the line, they heard it. Did they hear some of it at Sinai? Did they hear much of it at the plains of Moab? We don't know. But this is the first audience. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what did they see? What did they hear when they first heard the Torah read to them, when they first heard the book of Genesis read to them? So again, Light of Menorah Ministries, we put the Bible in its historical context. And by doing this, we present another way of looking at God's word that just adds to our understanding and expands our understanding of God's word. It doesn't conflict with it. When we talk about that God created the heavens and the earth, we all believe that. There's no problem with that whatsoever. We've got that. So Light of Menorah Ministries, yes, we put the Bible in its historical context and try to see what would be the effects on those people 3,400 years ago when they first heard these words. And it could very well be they were at the plains of Moab all the tents of all the Hebrews camped around central, the central tent of God Most High who dwelt with them. So the Hebrews are in the plains of Moab. Moses was dead. The Torah is done. They were the first audience of the very words of God. That's a T-V-W-O-G. I love that. Tavog. They were the first audience. They were the first hearers of the very words of God. So what did they hear then? What did they understand then? And so for us that we can more fully comprehend now his word. Now, you will notice the title of a book there on the screen, Against the Gods. And I'm naming this series after this book. It was written by Dr. John Kareed. He is a renowned archaeologist, a renowned historian, a renowned Egyptologist, a renowned uh, theologian himself, and he's the one that talked about polemical theology of the Old Testament. And so what is a polemic? We dealt with that in lesson one. We're going to deal with that here in lesson two. Dr. John Kareed, his words, is saying polemical theology is the use by biblical writers like Moses of the thought forms and stories that were common in ancient Near Eastern culture while filling them with radically new meanings. And I'm talking about an attack, a direct attack against pagan views, pagan worldviews, their pagan gods, and so on. Later on in his article, The Nature of Polemical Thought and Writing, he says the biblical authors take well-known expressions and motifs from the ancient Near Eastern milieu, apply them to the person and work of Yahweh, to the one and only true God and not to other gods of the ancient world. So when we take a look at a polemic, when we take a look at biblical polemical theology, what we're dealing with, okay, is God coming against the gods of Egypt, the gods of Canaan, the gods of Syria, etc. Merriam-Webster talks about what the definition of a polemic is. An aggressive attack on or refutation of the opinions or the principles of another. In the Cambridge Dictionary, it's a piece of writing or a speech in which a person strongly attacks or defends a particular opinion, person, idea. So indeed, God is using polemical theology, 
that we didn't see, that we don't understand, because it's not part of our culture 3,400 years later. Now, don't get me wrong. When we take a look at Genesis 121, it talks about sea creatures, whales and crocodiles, and we'll agree quite definitely. This is part of God's creation. But we need to take a look at it in a deeper way, in Hebrew and not in English. Genesis 121. Could it be that the New American Standard is the one version of the Bible that perhaps has it right? The great sea monsters. Let's go take a look. Here's an evil looking guy. Gigantic lizard waking up. And this is what it says in Genesis 1 starting in 19 through 22 from the New American Standard. Now, the reason why I picked the New American Standard is the New American Standard Bible translation and the King James are the only two English translations of the Bible that are the closest to the ancient Hebrew and the ancient Greek. And so when we read this, this is coming directly from the Hebrew. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters, not crocodiles, not whales, and every living creature that moves with which the water swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Actual Hebrew there is ha gadolim ha tanaim. The great and ha tanaim is definitely a monster or a dragon. It is not a whale. It is not a crocodile. It's not a creature. Our translators are trying possibly to help us understand God's word, and perhaps, and I don't know this for sure, they're going to avoid the biblical history of this because we need to understand the gods of Egypt. We need to understand the gods of Canaan. And so maybe they avoided that by just saying sea creatures or crocodiles because it made more sense at that time. It could very well be our translators completely don't know anything about the biblical history and the culture of 3,400 years ago. Maybe that's where the person who translated and gave us the message Bible. Let's take a look at the multi-headed red dragon in the book of Revelation. Great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, and she was with child. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child, etc., etc. It goes on, but as we get closer to verses 8 and 9, 
and it was the great dragon was thrown down. That dragon, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. So right here in the book of Revelation, all of a sudden we have this great dragon appearing again. And when we take the English to the Greek, and we take back to the Greek to the Hebrew, what we get is ha gadolim hatanim. The exact phrase in the book of Revelation is the exact phrase in Genesis 1.21. And it means a great sea dragon or a great sea monster. Not a crocodile, not a creature, not a whale. Ladies and gentlemen, Genesis 1.21, it ain't about a fish. It ain't about a crocodile. What's going on? What are we missing? Because we take the Bible and we put it back into its historical context at that time. And we consider the Hebrews following Moses in the Sinai. They left in 1446 BC. Moses is 80. He's probably written maybe a numbers of sections of the Torah already. We don't know. The Hebrews get it, though. They're going to Canaan. That's where the promised land is. Adonai needs to prepare them. He needs to have his people ready to encounter the of Canaan. Now, the main god of Canaan, or the Canaanites, Canaan is the way you pronounce it in Hebrew, the main god of Canaan was Baal. He's the god of storms and rain. Baal's enemy was the god Lotan. And Lotan was a great sea serpent, a servant of Yom, the sea god. This is where they're going. And here they're hearing in Genesis 121 that God created the great sea monsters. He's the one that created, created the great sea serpents. Now, this is from the uh, Ugaritic texts that are dated to the 12th and 13th century BC. They were discovered in 1928. And in the Ugaritic texts, they talk about the Baal cycle, of which we learn about the great enemy of the head god in Canaan, Baal. The Hebrews are the people of Yahweh of Adonai. He is the one and only God. God created the great sea serpents. God created the enemies of Baal. He, and later we're going to see how he creates the enemy of Pharaoh and Amun-Ra too. That's related to the serpent, but not this word, not Tanaim. God created the serpents, the enemies of Egypt and Canaan. And it has a lot to do with the fact that God definitely wants to prepare his people to get away from the idols of Egypt and the idols of Canaan. Look at this. This is Leviticus 18, 1 through 5. This is a verse that I brought up before. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as was done in the land of Egypt in which you dwelt. Notice what it says. You shall not do as was done in the land of Egypt. The implication of those wording is the Hebrews were doing pagan practices of the Egyptians in Egypt. Nor shall you do as is done in the land of Canaan. Notice was and is. They're about to enter the land of Canaan, to which I'm bringing you. 
neither shall you walk in their statutes. You shall do my ordinances and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my ordinances, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So Genesis 121 is a polemic, a direct attack against Lotan, the enemy of Baal. Actually, a direct attack against Baal. Because it's an exact opposite view. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he has no enemies. There are no other gods. So the message is to the Hebrews 3,400 years ago, who is all-powerful and rules and reigns over all creation and all mankind? It definitely is. yud Vavhe, vav The name of El Elyon, the God Most High. Our God Most High. And we read in Deuteronomy 4.35, To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, He is God, and there's no one, there's no other beside Him from Moses. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Isaiah 44.6, from the pen of Isaiah. And then from Paul, in 1 Corinthians 8.6, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. So we will continue this series. We'll continue this study of polemical theology of the Old Testament, but specifically in Genesis. Next, we're going to focus in on the creation of man and woman. We're going to see how the creation of man and woman is actually a polemic against the pagan gods and the cosmology, the creation accounts, both in Egypt and in Canaan. So till then, let us seek a blessing. The blessing of God, the blessing of the high priest, the blessing of Jesus our Lord. In Luke chapter 24, we read about the fact that Jesus ascends to the Father and he prays a blessing over the 120 disciples that were there with him. And it says he lifted up his hands. There's only one blessing in Judaism of those days where anybody lifts their hands to do a blessing as the high priestly blessing. It's very likely that the high priest, by a completely different priesthood, our Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our God, was blessing them with the high priestly blessing. So may it be so for us. Indeed, Jesus, may you bless us with the words that you probably blessed your disciples with nearly 2,000 years ago. Yevarekeka Adonai verishmereka. Yair Adonai, Panavelekehunecha, Isa Adonai, Panavelekeha, Viasemlecha, Shalom. But let us turn it into a prayer. And let's seek Jesus to bless us in those ways. Let's read it together. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us. And may he give us his shalom. 
So until then, I do wish the shalom of God upon you and looking forward to lesson three in this new series called Against the Gods. Shalom.